about to bring on the positive vibe. Wherever we go, we are gonna do what makes us feel right. Welcome to the Soul Purpose Show, where we focus on black people's stuff. What we do is face issues of race from a unique black perspective. Uh, We talk about sex. Uh, Actually, we discuss all types of relationship issues. Uh, We definitely get political. Really, all aspects of pop culture. Can we also talk about kids? Now, we'll definitely explore the challenges of raising a family. Well, that all sounds groovy. So stay tuned for another episode of the Soul Purpose Show. Groovy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining another episode of The Soul Purpose Show, and I am your host, Keith. And this is Monica. Hello, Monica. Hi, Keith. (laughs) What are we talking about today? Well, you know, I've been watching the news um, over the last few weeks, and this situation in Virginia with the governor and I think the attorney general, it being revealed that they wore blackface. I think the governor wore blackface Mm. in medical school and I'm not sure when the AG confessed when he wore blackface but there seems to be as I'm reviewing social media Twitter Facebook there seems to be some confusion for some people about whether or not it's appropriate to wear blackface I think some people get it but there still seems to be some confusion about whether or not it's appropriate so like for example there's this Facebook group I'm in and a white woman asked a question saying that her daughter during Halloween, they dressed her up like Pocahontas or dressed her daughter up like a geisha. And for Pocahontas, they darkened her skin. It wasn't blackface, but they put like a darker shade of makeup on and was wondering why, if there was no ill intent, why that was so offensive or if that was offensive. I think she was really trying to gather some information. So to the extent that it was offensive, it would not be. And I was perplexed because I did not think in 2019 that we still had to educate people about blackface when Google is so easy to access. Well, you bring up a great point because that is the reason, one of the reasons why we decided to start this podcast is to educate and to enlighten uh, and to empower people to make better decisions. And, and, uh, and, and, And I think this is an opportunity for us to offer some tips. Yeah, I think, I think if you're, I think we have to do some tips because I think there's some other things probably that people are confused about. So tip one would be not to wear blackface in any shape, form or fashion. It's not appropriate for a variety of reasons. We are not costumes, um, but from a historical context, it's seen to be extremely offensive. And it was minstrels that were dressed in blackface to poke fun at extreme characteristics or extreme stereotypes of black people. Yeah. Blackface is never okay. And, uh, and I'm gonna share a little history, but first let me get, just kind of look at a, a definition of what blackface is, um, is a form of theatrical makeup used predominantly by non-black performers to represent a caricature of a black person. And this practice gained, and this is off of Wikipedia, by the way, um, this practice gained popularity during the 19th century and contributed to the spread of racial stereotypes, such as the happy-go-lucky darky on the plantation 
or the dandified coon. Now that's from Wikipedia. Right. And you found that, I don't know, five seconds, just a quick Google search of blackface. It was pretty easy to find on there. So, you know, just, you know, we don't, we have white friends and I don't think the white friends that we have would engage or put on blackface. I think it's pretty clear that it's inappropriate, but there appears to be lots of people that are very confused or unsure of why it's not appropriate. And there are other things too. So we we're doing the, t- the five tips for our non uh, black brethren and sisters who may be a little bit confused about some things that you should probably never do relative to black people. Yeah, absolutely. And as, and I, I kind of alluded to history, um, you know, I, I found something that was a kind of an in- interesting little anecdote um, from, from a few years ago, there's a, a performance artist by the name of Nate Hill. Uh, he, um, he's actually from Florida, but he, but he lives in New York. He walked the streets of Harlem in whiteface with a sign hanging from his neck. And that read white people do not smell like wet dog. And that was meant to uh, bring attention to racial intolerance. And that was just, you know, this, this particular brother's uh, ministry, if you will. But here's the real ir- irony um, of this moment. Um, it just kind of reminds of, of, of another uh, black history fact, maybe a little known black history fact that uh, Steve Harvey talked about on one of his recent shows. And it was during the, the Harlem Renaissance, um, you know, black performers uh, were not allowed to um, to perform in white venues. And so the um, uh, the Apollo Theater, if, if you watch the Showtime at the Apollo and you see the performers come out and they rub the, you know, kind of the stump, the if stone. you will. Mm-hmm. The stump is actually called the Tree of Hope. And yes. the history of it is it used to sit out in front of the Lafayette Theater. And the black performers would gather up under the tree uh, in hopes that they would, um, if the if a white performer didn't show up for their performance in, uh, in, at some of the uh, white um, clubs in Harlem, uh, that they would, you know, they they would need some extras. Okay. And, and so they would, uh, and so they would sit out up under the tree and essentially get selected by um, by the, uh, the the white performers to to perform the the uh, the dances with them, their routines with them, uh, and they would actually put on white face to the uh, to the black performers because they weren't allowed to perform uh, in the theater. I mean, can you can you can you imagine that? I mean, that's a, a big part of who we are is is what we look like um and and they wanted us because we can pick up on the dances so uh, so they made the black performers put on white face exactly interesting little known another little known black history fact and i don't know if it's a black history fact or just a personal fact um my cousin antonia janae whose song is a part of our intro sang on and performed on the Apollo Showtime at the Apollo a few times with her original piece. And I believe, and I may have my history facts messed up. I believe she was one of the few performers, if not the first to win with an original song. So right. irrelevant, not, not related to the topic at, at all, but I felt I'd do a little shameless plug. That's for my all right. family. We're going to represent a uh, family. And another shameless plug is, is you can also hear uh, that song. It was actually, uh, the song is hot and, yeah. it, was, and it was picked up uh, by, um, Spike, Lee. Spike Lee, yeah, when he did his, uh, she's got to have it. She's got to have it. Uh, re, uh, remake series, if you will. Um, so the song is hot. We decided to use it for uh, for our show as well, and we just a uh, uh, shout out uh, to our cousin uh, Antonia Janae. So, so, so tip number one: mm-hmm. do not wear blackface. My husband is an is a an alpha, and they deep into the history and give you a historical perspective. I'm going to be a little bit more more simplistic. 
we are not costumes. It's not, there's not, if you're going to wear, you can dress as Curtis Blow. You can dress as Michael Jackson. You can dress as Princess Tiana, Black Panther, T'Challa without actually putting on blackface. I think folks would know who you were if you did that. Absolutely. So you don't see little black girls walking around with white face with Cinderella or Snow White. And I think people know who they are portraying when they dress in the character's attire. So yeah, number one, blackface is never, ever okay. Whether it's shoe polish, whether it's dark makeup, whether it's darkening the skin, it's not appropriate. So that's the first tip. Well, thank you very much. Now let's get into one that really doesn't need any historical or history lesson associated with it. Number two is the N-word. Let's talk about etiquette around the N-word. Is it okay, white friends, is it okay if you use the N-word? Monica. No. It's not okay if you use the N-word. But what Even, if there are friends? What if there are friends? No, it's, no, it's not okay. Even if it's in a song, it's not okay. Like if you know, in a rap song and you're reciting the lyrics. If the rapper says the N word, it's not appropriate. If you are a white person to say the word, that is the word in the song. Okay. But the artist that sang the word is, is black, a, is a black artist and he's saying the word and he's talking about black people. So, well, don't. you don't know necessarily who he's talking about. He could be, t- he could be that. I don't necessarily know. I don't know who the rapper's talking about when they say that. I don't think it's necessarily associated when a rapper is using that word, I'm not going to necessarily say he's talking about a particular group of people. All I'm merely saying is a historical context of the use of that word. It is a racial epithet. It is a nasty word. It is a hurtful word. And a rapper using it is probably a African, a black rapper. We can have a whole nother debate about whether or not a black person should be using it. But if you are a white person and you love Biggie or Tupac and in this and I'm I'm kind of old school so I don't know any of the newer rappers but if you are whomever and and they happen to drop the n-word in the midst of their lyrics it is not appropriate for you to be in a club or with your friends or frankly by yourself but you can't control what people do in their own cars but if you are a mixed company it is inappropriate for you to recite the words of the song and drop the n-word you will note that Eminem, who is a rapper, and I don't profess to be most knowledgeable about Eminem's lyrics, but I'd be very surprised if Eminem had the N-word in any of his he, lyrics. He, 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 he doesn't do it. Okay, Eminem, well, there you go. Yeah, M is, is, a, uh, is, a, is a brilliant lyricist and orator. I don't think he feels the need to, to have to use the N-word. And, I, and the thing I think that most other rappers respect about him, and certainly what I respect about him, is um is you know he doesn't try to you know sound uh, black or urban for that matter. I mean he just you know he sounds like a white guy rapping, um, but um, certainly he is uh, is 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 definitely a, a gifted rapper. So, and you know what? Speaking of a, a gifted orator, um, why don't we get into our third tip for our white friends, which is, can y'all please stop calling us articulate? articulate well-spoken we communicate so well monica what does that what does that mean i i don't don't know like for an example the state of the union stacy abrams gave the democratic response and what was interesting to me was the commentary after her response i think all of us recognize if you follow stacy abrams during the campaign uh, when she was running for governor of the state of georgia 
you know what her background is. She has a degree from Spelman. I believe she has a master's from the University of Texas, maybe. And she also has a law degree from Yale. So she's multi-degreed. But what you found commentators saying, and I think what it was a default from saying that she was articulate, because I think generally speaking, people recognize or should recognize that that's offensive. But what I did hear people say, which is why it kind of struck me, was that she communi- she's, she communicates very well. Kind of the same thing they said about Obama. He's a, he's a gifted orator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you say that, to me, I receive it as these learned black folks can talk real well and speak real well, but there's no substance to the things that they're saying. Or if you talk about the writing aspect of who they are, then they're, they may be really good at gifted orators, but their writing may not be as good or their intellect may not be on par with what the, the person who's saying that believes that black folks intellect should be on par with. I think during the campaign for the government, the state of the uh, state of Florida governor gubernatorial seat, a lot of people talked about how articulate and well-spoken Andrew was Andrew Gillum. It's offensive because if even black folks that don't have degrees, I'm just not even going to limit it to degreed black folks. Cause I think that's a little bit elitist. But black people who can can conjugate verbs and have subject verb agreement, it should be a given that they're articulate. You don't when you say it, it gives the impression that you're shocked about the fact that you're not splitting a verb and you don't have subject verb agreement. It's I mean it's it's offensive. So when people tell me that, or I've heard have people say that to me before, not realizing how offensive it is. I have two degrees. Yes, I hope I am articulate. I hope I can form together a, a lucid sentence that makes sense to people so it's it's extremely offensive i think at the end of the day bottom line is 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 what you're actually suggesting um to us when we speak uh in clear english um and, uh, and we have a mastery of the vocabulary of the english language is that is that we sound white it sounds like you're complimenting us because we have the ability to sound white. I, I find it very um, interesting. I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up um, in a, in a very diverse environment and I, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fluid in Ebonics. If you can, uh, you know, consider that a second language. I mean, I, I speak Ebonics very, very well uh, and, and very fluently. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I sound like a black person. Am I, even when I'm well, what does that, what does that even mean? What is, what does sounding like a black person and sounding like a white person even mean? I didn't realize that there was a particular way someone's, I mean, I know that people say that because people have said that about me growing up, but what, what does that even mean? I think it's, you know, I, I think it's a compliment that, um, a compliment when someone says that you, what, I mean, what is, do yeah. black people have a certain way to, that they talk? I think I think that it is a compliment when we make differentiations in uh, in in understanding and respecting diction and understanding dialect and understanding you know, even the geographical uh, differences in uh, in the English language, and also acknowledging that there is a certain uh, tonality uh, and a cadence um, that we have in our community that um, where we were able to take the English language and really just kind of make it you know make it our own. Um, I, you know, even though it wasn't our quote unquote native, you know, language, it also wasn't the native language of a lot of people that came to this, uh, came to this country. So, um, so I, I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I'm okay with people, uh, who hear my voice and assume rightfully so that I am, uh, that I'm actually a black man. 
Um, I don't need for people to tell me that I'm well-spoken or I'm articulate or, or what have you, because even if I decide to speak ebonically, I'm still going to be very articulate because there's a whole bunch of people that know exactly what I say when I use certain, uh, you know, when I use certain words. So I, I, I think I'm actually okay sounding like I sound. Um, and, and, and really the key takeaway here is um, you don't have to try to compliment me that I am articulate because my assumption is, is that what you're ultimately saying is that you are surprised that I have a command of the, of the English language and good for me for, for being able to sound, to sound white. So that's, that's the way I receive that. Oh, well, see, I know I have, I have a, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I have a problem, problem with the notion that speaking correct English is sounding white. I think it's just, you're just, you're speaking correct English. You're, conjugating a verb properly you are having subject verb agreement you can formulate a complete thought and say that to someone and they understand I don't think do be having the ability to do that and do that well is a compliment number one because if I can speak unless I've unless my native tongue is in a different language me being able to speak eloquently or being able to share my thoughts in a manner that is easy to follow isn't speaking white. It is, I am speaking. I'm speaking in the manner in which I speak. It's good because to me, the inference there is that white folks have a monopoly on appropriate dialect or appropriate speech. And that's crap. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and I think, um, you know, this is, this is one that gets kind of an honorable mention uh, you know, honorable mention also goes to, uh, you know, the surprise that a black quarterback can play uh, that, you know, that position uh, and also be smart at the same time. Um, you know, and, and the fact that uh, when we go out in public and if our children are are well behaved and, and you and you want to give us a compliment. Oh, my that, God, you know, that irritates me. You know, our children, oh, your, 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 all your kids are just so are just so are just so well behaved. Like, how are they supposed to behave if they're I think I think a part of the pro- I think a part of the challenge is that we live in such homogenous groups. So it's, it's rare that you, I mean, I'll be just very frank there. I don't have my circle of tight friends is all black. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Just similarly, I think that there are some, there are lots of white folks who just socialize in their, with their white friends. And so there's no diversity in friendships and diversity in, villages or social groups and so some people base their impressions white people because black folks have to engage black folks on a regular basis are engaged if you work you are engaged with uh, people of a different race on a consistent and regular basis a white person can literally live and my sister had this experience when she was in law school you can live almost your entire life without having to engage anyone outside of your um, circle of people. I mean, just white folks. You could re- literally go. Like the young, my sister told me this young lady in law school had never socialized with the black person until she talked to my sister. And this is at 20-something years old. So you went 20-something years without ever having had a full conversation with a black person. And so what you believe in your perceptions of black people and black culture is what you see on television. Mm-hmm. And so your and the media will find if something happens in the neighborhood, they'll find the person that's going to fit every stereotype that there is relative to 
a black person. And so if you are a white person who's never socialized at work, at school, at church, in your private life with anybody outside of your community, then it's very likely that you're going to be a person that's shocked when you encounter a black person who conjugates verbs properly and has subject verb agreement. It just, it's not, so to me, it's, 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 it's kind of based on what your experiences is and who you surround yourself with, which is why, and this would probably be a topic for another podcast. I think it's important for us to really make a concerted effort to diversify our social circle because then you're and be open to doing that because then you're able to see people in a different light and you don't make those statements that could potentially be offensive because some people say it and don't even know that they're that's being offensive uh, and that's the reason why we're doing this and just to to recap and just to remind our audience these are these are tips for our white friends and we do have five and we're gonna go through the um, we have five tips not five white friends we have five tips uh, we have we have we have lots of white friends. Um, so tip number one, uh, blackface is never okay. Uh, tip number two, the N word is probably one of the most hateful words ever devised uh, in any language, um, and it is and it is it is never okay for a white person to say that to us around us. It just we don't really want to hear hear it coming from you. And if you have black friends, because I think <clears throat> relative to the blackface and probably number two as well, the state legislator in the state of Florida. I forgot his name. He represents Lake County, I think, but they found a picture of him with his friends during Halloween in blackface. And his response was, well, my black friends saw it. They were, you know, they were cool with it. I don't care if you have a black friend that takes the black paint and plasters it on your face for you, or you have a black friend that goes back and forth with you and allows you to say the N word all day and all night while you are in their presence. It is not appropriate, period, point blank, in a conversation, hard stop. And we're, and we're offering these tips for a reason, you know, it's because we care and we don't want you to, you know, get in front of the wrong audience and mess around and drop, you know, the wrong word. Uh, and, and get your feelings real hurt. Well, and get your ass beat at the same time. All right. So t- tip number three. Uh, stop calling us articulate and well-spoken. Uh, you know, you know, we, if we're great communicators, we're great communicators. But, they, but, but, just stop it. Just, just, just stop with it. With the, it's not a compliment. Um, you know, we we know when we're educated. But I think you were, uh, you really kind of touched on something before uh, before I did my recap, and that is having been exposed to to people, to diverse people in general, but but people of color and black folk especially really kind of leads to is a good segue to uh, tip number four which is what am i doing don't please don't touch my hair okay so please do not do not touch our hair and i will tell you that i mean i'm actually at a point now where i don't even have hair anymore i got a little bit of uh, peach fuzz uh, on the top of my head but um but the hair thing is real like it, 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 it is real. There's probably some deep seated connotations to it, which have to do with, you know, people touching you on the head in the first place. But, but Monica, what, what is, what is the deal with our hair that makes it such an attractive thing to where you feel like you gotta, gotta reach up and grab it? Do men have that problem? You have people running up trying to touch your head? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm okay. So, uh, I, I am old enough to remember Afros in the seventies. Um, I didn't have a huge afro. Um, I did have, you know, I had, I had a few inches, and I absolutely remember 
going to school and having my white friends say, oh my gosh, your hair is so, it's, it's just so um, soft and so bouncy and, uh, and I could just, you know, touch it and put my hand on it. And, 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 and I don't know if I was offended then, or if it was just irritating because it took you a while to get your fro right, you know, and then you didn't <laughs> want anybody to touch on it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it was a thing for us then. And I would imagine for brothers who have locks and, 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 uh, and dreads now, uh, and twists and, and, uh, and the like, um, I imagine it's probably still a thing. Well, you know, there's an old, I think it may be biblical as well, but the story of Samson, but the, there's an old black belief, old woman. My grandmother used to say this is your strength is in your hair and, and there are spirits <clears throat> in your hair and some people who have locks or cut their hair off to kind of give themselves a fresh start. I think black women have a tendency to do that, to give, to get a fresh start if you're going through some things, there's spirits in your hair, there's strengths in your strength in your hair. It's an extension of who you are as a person. So you touching my hair is to me akin to you coming and grabbing me on my arm or touching me on my leg or touching me someplace. And I haven't given you permission to invade my private space. Mm -hmm. Now there are some situations where, and I've never had, that's not true. When I have, because I wear braids and my, anybody that knows me knows I change my hair pretty regularly. It may be the Virgo in me, but I like change relative to my, to my coils yes, and my do. locks. So I've had people when I had braids um, or locks, oh my gosh, it's so pretty. It looks so soft. Can I touch? Typically it's bothersome for me. It depends on the person. So there have been times when, or like if I had my Afro or whatever. But they ask for permission. Yeah, right. But do you ask permission to touch? I don't go up to a white woman and say, oh, your hair is so soft. Can I touch it? I don't, I mean, that's not something that I do because I, I, why? Um, I think there's a curiosity there, but I think it's inappropriate to come up. Number one, you probably would get more grace if you asked before you came and just touched. But you have some people that will come and they'll just touch your hair and it's, in, it's inappropriate. I mean, it's just, it's inappropriate. So it's, I mean, it's like someone touching you, your body, your hair is an extension of your body. And so if you, if you're not going to walk up to someone that you don't know and touch their arm or touch their leg or touch some other part of their body, then don't touch their hair. I mean, if you have questions, but not, you know, I've had people ask questions because they were curious. And I think a part of extending grace and attempting to try to build this bridge with people of different ethnicities and different cultures is to be open to teaching moments. Now I'm not always in a space where I want to teach somebody, but when I'm in that space and would like to teach, cause everything you can't Google and Wikipedia can't tell you everything, but certain, certain things, I think before, if you are, you know, your white friends, if they have a question about it, certain things, they should take the initiative to Google first. Like blackface is one of those things. Take the initiative to Google first. And then if you have questions after you've done your own research and you have a black friend that's willing to sit down and have a conversation with you, that's different. Black hair is a little bit different, particularly for black women, because we take so much ownership in our hair. And like you said, when, a, when a black woman has her, she's done her two strings, she's washed and she's conditioned and she's done her whole Saturday wash routine and she's two strand twisted. And she's trying to ensure that when she untwisted, it has the right look. And then she's walking out she's feeling beautiful and her coils and her glory are just all, everybody's kind of turning their hair like, Oh my God, I love your hair so much. And then someone comes who's not familiar with 
kind of how much time it took to get that done. You come and touch and you mess up the style. I'd be pissed off too. But I think if you have a question about it and you have a friend that you can ask a question about, you know, how do you get your, how does your hair curl so tight or how did you get that style? I think you may find more grace if you have friends that you're comfortable with engaging in that conversation with asking the question prior to asking or, or instead of asking, can I touch your hair? No, cause I'm not a dog. Don't pet me. If you have questions about how I was able to achieve this look, that's a different question than can I touch your hair? Cause we're not animals. Let me, let's talk about how you achieve that look for a moment. There was a, um, was an article in the Huffington Post uh, a few years ago that talked about the black hair care industry. So you know what goes into all of those things that you just described. What goes into black hair care um, is is phenomenal. I mean, the numbers are absolutely staggering. And we need a percentage of that market. Black women spend way too much money in the beauty space. Well, this is over the course of the past four or five years. I mean, there was one estimate that had it at about $680 million about five years ago. And, uh, and as of last year, it was projected to be around $760 million. And here's what's interesting. What's missing from those figures, according to that article, are things like weaves, extensions, wigs, and all of the products that were surfaced from independent beauty supply stores and distributors. So you can't even capture all of that. I mean, they, 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 they think and they believe that with all of those things all told, you may be talking about a half a trillion dollar oh, absolutely. In industry. Absolutely. And, th- and that in and of itself represents a, a, a huge percentage of black buying power. So black hair care is a thing. It's, it's not only big business, but it is an investment. Um, it is, it is real and it's not something to be trivialized to the point where you feel like if you feel so inclined, you just reach out. I mean, and it's, and I think if you look historically, look at just all the different things that black women can do with their natural hair, they can braid it. They can put beads in it. You can lock it. I mean, we, our hair is absolutely gorgeous and it's versatile. And so because we love our hair so much, and I'm, you know, I'm just so happy that people, that went black women in general, are really embracing their natural coils and embracing the beauty that is their kinks. To ask someone, can I touch your hair? <laughs> is, as I said, is offensive. I think if you have questions about it, about how, like I said, you're able to achieve the look, why it is we wear a weave, some people may not be comfortable answering that question. So just be cautious about proceeding in that space because that's a whole different conversation. Um, but I think the whole, the tip in terms of don't touch our hair that should be self-explanatory because we are not animals. We don't want to be petted. We're not dogs. We're not cats. We're not horses. We are people. And so if you want to have a question, you're, you're curious about our hair and how we keep, keep it uh, maintained, then there is a way to ask that question. But relative to the, the trillion dollar, half a trillion, half a trillion dollar mm-hmm. um, revenue that's generated in black hair care, weeds in particular it's, I mean, that's expensive. Weave is expensive. You get good weave and the installation of it. I'm telling secret sisters, so I'm sorry. But there are there are black, like Madali Hair is a black distributor. Um, uh, Javante Anwabwele, he owns, him and, his, him and his wife, his wife is a sore of mine, Talitha. He owns Madali Hair. And so that is a, a, a he was smart enough to try to get a piece of that, larger demographic or larger space to try to get a piece of that hair care space, realizing that black women spend a lot of money 
on extensions. And so his, I have some of Dolly hair. I love it. I think it's fabulous. I recommend that you get it. I think you get it on Amazon or they have a website, but to the extent that we can, that's probably going to be another podcast too. If we're spending so much money in that industry, to the extent that we can have some ownership in that industry, I think black women, black men need to support those entities that are black owned businesses that are in that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's our fourth tip. Um, tips to our white friends. I mean, that's our fourth one. Um, don't please don't touch our hair, it, which really kind of brings us to the fifth and final. I want to take a little bit of a departure. Um, and we do deal with issues of race uh, on this podcast. And uh, and some of that stems from the very core of, uh, of raciality, if you will. And that comes from the term racism. White people came up with a term about mm, 40 years or so ago called reverse racism. Please stop using the term reverse racism. I'm actually going to read the definition of racism. It is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based, and this is and this is really the core, this is really the <laughs> kicker, based on the belief that one's own race is superior. So at a very you know, kind of base level, the term racism is steeped in the belief that uh, a a race is superior. And I got to tell you, you know, I've I've been living in this country for a long, long time. I I don't remember an era ever when the black race was deemed superior, close to being superior, almost being equal, like it has never, ever, ever happened. And so to the extent that the very definition of racism is such that you cannot invert it until such time as that superiority and that power structure changes. Um, it is extremely offensive. The notion that you will see a thing and and categorize it as reverse racism. And the other thing is actually pretty comical because y'all have a four white folks have a 400 plus year start on black folks. So I'm well, just in this country, just in this country. Mm-hmm. Correct. In this country have a 400 plus years, 400 plus year start on achievement of um, black folks in this country. So to even suggest somehow that because black folks are asking for an equal playing field is somehow reverse racism is laughable. What I will say though, also is based on the definition that you provided, black folks have never believed that we were superior. We are proud of our culture. We're proud of our heritage. You know, the fact that we the folks that came over from, we were all we were stolen from Africa. We were scientists, teachers, doctors, mathematicians, engineers. Those engineers and those people were stolen from Africa, brought over on ships and made slaves. So they didn't, they didn't steal slaves. They stole doctors and lawyers and nurses and kings and princesses and captured them and put them on a boat, came through the middle passage and then made the, made those people slaves. So the fact that we as a people have overcome so much being in this country, we are proud. I don't think there's a single person. There may be some folks, but there, I think we are bright people. I think we are creative people. I think that other folks think, believe that we're creative and we're smart and we're intellectual because they try to um, steal so much of our culture and our heritage. So that probably is a somewhat of a self a self reflection they need to do on themselves. Maybe, maybe some self-esteem issues on their part, but I don't ever recall any black person saying that we were superior 
to another race. What we've been asking for is that we have equality, have, we don't necessarily need to be in school with you. We don't necessarily need to be in all places with you, but we want to be, have equal access to things. We want true equality and true equality means that we all have a level playing field such that we all have the ability to achieve. And when you've had a 400 plus year start to even suggest, as I said, that there's some reverse racism is beyond laughable. Yeah. And what you just alluded to is, um, is again, I've, I've talked about like where this term comes from. Um, you know, the, the 400 year, uh, head start, you know, led to this concept and this construct called affirmative action and affirmative action was, uh, was created as a remedial, uh, attempt to try to open the door for people of color and women to uh, to kind of enjoy the same opportunities that had been afforded to uh, you know to the to the majority community uh, and to white males. Quite frankly, you know, affirmative action you know gave rise to a lot of uh, things and a lot of uh, doors opened as a result. You know, and to the extent that you know what came on the heels of that was. Uh, you know, the admission standard, which was challenged um, out in California with the Baki case that, you know, that that gave rise to this term, you know, reverse racism, like it was racism in reverse, which is, you know, absolutely ludicrous. Do you still see a need for affirmative action in 2019? Absolutely. Last time I checked, black women were still getting paid less than black men, white women, white men. It's still a struggle for uh, black children, black students to get into some of these predominantly white institutions. That's a whole nother podcast. I think people should be going to historically black colleges and universities, but that's, I'm biased. Um, what, so what people should be going brown children. Okay. I mean, I'm just be frank. I mean, it, we're, we're open to anybody and everybody obviously. Um, but I think there's a different, and we can talk about that in our, we'll talk about that in, our, in another podcast, but I think there's a, there's an experience at an HBCU that you're not going to get anywhere else. And I've been to both. So, but other than that, to answer your question, is affirmative action still needed? Absolutely. I mean, we, there's no, there's no level playing field here. If there was a level playing field to me, you can use the Obama presidency as a prime example of why affirmative action is still needed. He is a black man that people still, despite the fact that of all of his accomplishments, things that he was able to achieve, in the eyes of some people in his in the in government, Mitch McConnell and other politicians and even people in the country, what he was was a black man who could speak well. They didn't they didn't pay attention to his intellect. They weren't really interested in any ideas that he had. And so, you know, from that perspective, until black folks are leading the same amount CEOs of major companies and we have a fair number or equal number of CEOs heading companies until you have NFL black, black NFL owners, black NBA owners until you have black governors in the South. I mean, there, there's so many things that um, we need relative to just our existence in this country. And there, so yes, to the extent that someone's going to give a black person who's qualified a, a little, a little push, because that's all affirmative action is, it's a push. It's eliminating barriers that pre- previously were there. It's eliminating those barriers that were there. And it's a little bit of a push. If you have a 400 year, if you had a 400 year start, speaking about white men, because that's who is really complaining about affirmative action. If you had a 400 plus year head start in a race 
and you are complaining about the fact that men or white women and black folks are gaining on your 400 lead, that means you're not doing everything that you're supposed to be doing to contain that lead. That's a huge lead. And so if you're complaining about the fact that these other groups are, there's a system in place to assist them in kind of trying to merge that gap or mend that gap that you, that has been created. I mean, that's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. There's no such thing. I mean, reverse racism is not a thing. Um, you know, it does suggest that there is a power shift. I don't know of a black institution that is so exclusive that it, you know, offers a unfair, uh, advantage to black people. Uh, affirmative action is, is in fact, uh, you know, just a, a, a way to open doors and, and, you know, having, you know, written a few affirmative action plans in my day, cause I've, you know, I do it professionally. I've done it professionally. I should say it's been, it's actually been a while since I've had to do it, but, but essentially it does outline a plan, mm-hmm. uh, to remedy, you know, past discrimination. Uh, discrimination and to remedy. So to the, to the extent that you use the, the term quota, uh, and everybody gets all freaked out about it because it says, oh, you know, we don't need quotas and black people don't need quotas and quotas are bad or quotas. Are bad. I, I don't I don't see anything wrong with setting a goal to say that the workforce should be representative of the local, uh, of, of, you know, who's available uh, in the workforce. Because when you because when you don't have that system in place, then people tend people tend to hire and want to, as I said previously, hire and want to associate with people that look like them. That's just kind of the nature of people. The other part that I don't think that people really get is that there's this belief that affirmative action awards people who are unqualified. That's simply not true. So there's this, there's this belief that if you are an affirmative action hire or you are, um, I mean, quotas aren't even, they're illegal at this juncture, but in race-based scholarships are illegal as well or unlawful as well. But to the extent that there's a, a goal in mind to have a, use use college for an example. There's a goal in mind to set it to provide uh, admittance to a certain number of women or a certain number of African Americans or a certain number of Asian, certain of certain number of Hispanic students. There's this belief by other people, white men, that the people that are being accepted are somehow not qualified for the spot. I mean, I had that pushback in law school about why there were so many African-Americans at University of Florida in the law school at the time that I was there and had students, male, white male students actually say whether not necessarily, not directly to me, but say in passing in groups of people and in larger conversations that these black students took seats away from qualified white men, Mm. which is just not true. The people that got into the school were qualified to get into the school. So this, I think there's this, this belief that affirmative action gives people uh, a, a push that aren't qualified for the roles or for the positions that they're applying for, which is simply not true. Well, I, you know, I got to tell you, I've been an executive in, in corporate America for several years. And when you talk about someone, you know, saying certain things or making certain comments that, you know, might be, you know, kind of behind your back, if you will. Um, or or uh, or offhanded comments. The comment that is is made is really in the form of a question all the time. Is you know how did you get you know the, your job and how did you get where you you know where you are mm-hmm. uh, in corporate America and and what's implied in that is um, you know obviously you had some non traditional route to get there because you don't look like the rest of the people who are you know at your level. So I'm you know very proud uh, of the the work 
uh, that I have put into my career. I'm very proud of the opportunities that uh, of, 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 that I've taken advantage of. You know, but at the end of the day, I do believe that there were admission standards that helped you know black kids, um, you know, like me when I came along to get into certain schools, even 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 getting into even going to a black school. I mean, absolutely. I, and personally, again, if you had a 400 year start. I don't think there's anything wrong with I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if you are if you white men have a privilege in this country and I'm tired of them acting like they're victims because they're not. And let's just be very clear about this. White men have an advantage and they they sit in a position of privilege in this country. Hard stop. White women also sit in a position of privilege in this country. Hard stop. The notion that other people who are not, not white and not men and not white and not women are somehow attacking the privilege that they have white men for the, the entire time that this country has existed and white women for longer than everybody else. The, the notion that someone having some, some a, a, a government program or something giving other people a chance at an opportunity to compete somehow makes you a victim or somehow challenges that position that you've had for 400 years and you're now the victim is absolutely insane. You sit in a position of privilege. You you run everything. And so when people are just saying, give me an opportunity to compete and you all scream and cry about the fact that you're asking for handouts and you're trying to get people who are not qualified for this position in this role. It's, it's offensive number one, but number two, there's nothing wrong. If you, if you sit in that position of privilege, there's nothing wrong in my opinion of giving someone else an opportunity to to compete in that same space and to suggest that they shouldn't have the opportunity to compete or that them competing in that space is somehow a handout or be or victimizing you and your your position is absolutely insane. It is, and uh, and I got to tell you, you know, this has been um, a public service announcement for all of for our white friends, and even for for some of our black friends as well, because I think that these issues should should serve as uh, reminders, ongoing reminders, that we do have a standard, uh, and then that standard uh, really should be that we expect um, to be respected on a certain level. Uh, I'm going to recap our uh, our tips uh, for this session, our five tips for our white friends. Um, number one, blackface is never okay. Never. Uh, number two, uh, and this is a big one because, you know, you could you could get yourself hurt. Uh, the N-word uh, does have etiquette around it. Uh, it is a double standard that says that black people can use it. Uh, maybe at some point in our future we'll stop using it, but for now we do. But you can use it. That's just that's just the way it works. Number three, uh, stop calling us articulate and well spoken, and that we are good communicators uh, because it is equivalent to us, you know, saying that that you know you know black people can't be can't play the sport of quarterback uh, without being athletic quarterbacks, uh, and that our children are well behaved. Uh, and number four, don't touch our hair. Our hair is. Uh, I don't want to say it's sacred to us in some instances. It, it is. It, okay, it's sacred to us. But, you know, we do work hard at, um, you know, at our hair. And it's, it's not even that. We're not animals. Don't touch me. Don't pet us. Don't Yeah, don't yeah. pet me. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, and then the last one is we did start this. We launched this podcast to talk about issues of race um, and to talk about them from a unique black perspective because that's who we are. Uh, racism is real. Uh, it still is real. 
and we really uh, you know want to do our parts to educate and and, and make and, and make everyone aware uh, of some of the uh, implications so this whole notion of reverse racism is stupid and you should not repeat that in front of your black friends that there's such a thing as reverse racism so um, so with that we've, we've got all kinds of great subjects coming up we're going to deal with um, you know Monica mentioned the fact that we're both products of, uh, of black colleges uh, and we do have an upcoming podcast to talk about why you should send your uh, kids your little brown kids to historically black colleges and universities so we're proud family rattlers um, but uh, but we thank you for joining us uh, we hope that you have, uh, have received something from uh, from our tips uh, we offer you we'd, we'd love to hear from you this is a, an interactive forum uh, so follow us on social media and, uh, and, and send us your emails and send us your comments and go to our website and our, and our um, uh, Facebook pages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so with that. We hope that we've articulated and communicated our, communicated with you all in a way that was understandable. you so articulate. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you all for joining us. Talk to you all later.